Hello, I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly, and welcome to Publishers Weekly Insider, PW's podcast taking you inside some of the biggest stories and books in the world of publishing. On today's show, we are going to talk about PW's Best Books of 2018. It's one of our biggest features, and you can find it at publishersweekly.com slash bestbooks. And joining us to discuss our best books is our children's book editor, Amanda Broon, nonfiction editor, Hannah Kushnick, fiction editor, Gabe Habash, and our executive editor, Johnny Segura. Hello, colleagues. Great to have you on. Hi, Mark. Great to be here. Hi, Mark. Hello, Gabe. <laughs> so, Johnny, you oversaw this whole process from top to bottom. How does this come together year after year in such an amazing fashion? <laughs> why, why, thank you, Mark. Um, I oversaw the adult side of it. I mean, I could probably talk more about the, the children's side later on. But, you know, this, this is something we do every year. We've done it for, I mean, as long as I've been here, which is... Several lifetimes, I think. But, you know, the, the, the basically what it is is if to, to be a best book of 2018, the first thing that has to happen is your book has to have published in 2018. Okay. Reasonable good. enough. Yeah. Uh, and you had to have received a starred review uh, in PW. And then the the editors really, really, really advocate for the books they love. And it's 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 a fun process to, to have the debates about, you know, over the course of the year, books will kind of go on the radar and maybe get bumped off by something. It happened a number of times in the, uh, for books we were looking at the top ten for sure. But by now we've seen everything that's coming out, and here we are. And I think the list we've put together is a sober one, though no less exciting one. No less exciting. Why don't we talk about some of the books that are on it? Yeah, let's do that. Perfect. Wouldn't that be crazy yeah, to, to I- mention... Let's do it. I, Some I of wanted, our I wanted, best books. I want to start with fiction. Let's start with fiction. All right. Um, we'll start with fiction, and we'll start alphabetically as well. Yes. Uh, first first book on our top ten, our top ten books of the year. These aren't ranked. These are our top ten books of the year, by yeah. the way. So it's not like this is the number one book, but this is the first book of our top ten, which is sorted alphabetically. And then without further time wasting on my part, getting a yellow card, <clears throat> it's a novel called Asymmetry by Lisa Halliday. Um, this book was sort of a, it, it kind of became a phenomenon earlier in the year when it came out uh, this spring, um, and it's, it's this woman's first novel, and it's, it's, it's in three parts. The first part is a, uh, from the perspective of a young uh, book editor in Manhattan who gets into a relationship with a guy, a, a very famous writer named Ezra Blazer, who is, you know, anybody who knows anything about the backstory of this book, is, it, it's Philip Roth. You know, in disguise as Ezra Blazer. Right. Um, and they have a relationship, and it sort of uh, charts that over a, a number of years. The second part of it is um, a, a about as different as, as it could get from that. And it's a story of an Iraqi economist who is detained at Heathrow on his way to Iraq. And there's a third part to it that's a little, it's almost like a little coda. It's a transcript of a radio interview. Uh, Ezra Blazer is being interviewed on this radio show. And, and the content, the contents of that of that interview sort of you know, upend a lot of what you understand about the book that came before it. And, right. and it's just really, really smart and well done. You know, I loved it. It was one that Gabe uh, marched into my office and forced me to read. Um, which actually, that's probably 90% of the reading I do during the year. <laughs> Thank you, Gabe. You do a great job of that. You're welcome. Um, we're going to hop further ahead in the alphabet here. Uh, I'm going to talk about another novel that's on our top 10 list. It's called Melmoth by Sarah Perry. And I think actually the last time I was on this sh- podcast... I was reading this book and I and I mentioned it a few months ago. This is this is a sort of uh, contemporary like gothic uh, horror kind of story, and it's primarily the story of, of a of a uh, a woman translator who's living a life of 
looks like some sort of she's punishing herself for some wrong that you don't know about and she she's a, lives a very kind of spartan uh you know deprived lifestyle by choice and you know the way the way the story you know unfolds is through like a larger framework following uh, this character called Melmoth who is a, a figure from myth uh, who is an observer and a watcher and, you know, knows what you've done and always seems to pop up in like the darkest times and corners of humanity. Um, m- many of these moments uh, are, are, are part of the narrative themselves and, and become, become part of the story uh, in and of itself. And it's really, really, really well done. I'm not a guy who's into supernatural stuff or weird things that don't, that would never happen. You know, in reality, like uh, not for me, period, ever. Still love this one. It's great. And it's great when you when you see a book that you don't normally read when you read a book that you you don't think you'd cotton to. And it just jumps out at you as something that's just really great on many levels. It's it's one of the the, the lucky, nicer, luckier aspects of the job here. True. We we get probably more, more, more stabbed at that than your average. Right, right. You know, I think I think we should talk about one thing before we move on, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kick this over to Gabe to talk about, and that is uh, the book whose author is on the cover of the magazine. Interesting tidbit on that: the book that Gabe's out to mention hasn't yet been published. Oh, very cool! Comes out in two weeks. Gabe, right? So the the cover author um, for the best books issue this year is uh, Gina Apostol, um, who wrote a novel called Insurrecta, which is out November 13th from Soho Press. Um, she's written a few other books, but um, we thought that this book was easily one of the best books that we saw this year, um, not only for its ambition, but for how um, it pulls it off and how imaginative it is and how funny and fun to read it is, despite how weighty and difficult the subject matter is. So the book is um, sort of hard to describe because it jumps around a lot. It's almost like um, a Calvino novel with these little leaps in um, fragments in chapters but at the core of it is our two women. They're in the Philippines. One is an American woman who wants to make a film in the Philippines. She's the daughter of a Francis Ford Coppola-like figure who um, was also a director. And she's seeking to make a movie, um, and she enlists the help of a Filipino woman who is a translator for her. And the two sort of go to, on this road trip to this site um, where there was a very, very bloody massacre of um, civil- Filipino civilians in 1901. Um, it's in Balangiga, I think is how, how to pronounce it. But um, this is a real event from the Philippine-American War, which um, is sort of not taught in schools here. And um, so the, the book very powerfully probes the long shadow of American imperialism. Um, and what makes the book even more notable is how, again, how um, playfully it handles the subject matter. Um, it doesn't ever feel dry. It never feels like it's like teaching you a lesson, although that's there. But um, one of the elements that makes it so um, original and exciting is the two women are writing scripts and the scripts are interposed throughout the narrative and you don't know who's authoring what script. So the book very cleverly deconstructs how we tell stories and who gets to remember what incidents and how those things get remembered. So it's just a very clever and ingenious way of, of talking about stories and history. And um, so we, we were blown away by the book. Um, and despite the fact that it's not out, it's 
one of the best books to be here. Right now we have Hannah, who is one of our nonfiction editors. And this is, is this your first year? This is your first year uh, working on the uh, top 10 in our it best is. books. It is. My first and, roundup. And, and how was that for you as a process? I mean, exciting? Terribly exciting. Yes. Unbelievably exciting. Yes. As you can no doubt tell from yes. the sound of my voice. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. So what do we have? <laughs> well, uh, in the top 10, uh, we've got a few memoirs. Uh, so that seems to be a little bit of a, of a trend for us. Um, my personal favorite is uh, Chiesa Lehman's Heavy, an American memoir. Um, he's a novelist and English professor, and this memoir uh, discusses sort of his journey to becoming an academic uh, while also talking about, you know, racialized experience in America and uh, more personal matters. The book is uh, addressed, the entire thing is addressed to his mother, which is a really fascinating uh, way of framing a memoir that obviously has a much bigger audience than her, but knowing from the very beginning that she's sort of the intended recipient of this tale makes it a really interesting read. And I remember when that review came out, it was just, it was really, really pretty powerful. It looked like a powerful book. Mm -hmm. and, and you're right, the, you know, the, the whole theme of memoir, we've got uh, Tara Westover is educated. I mean, this is about growing up uh, in their survivalist, religious, fundamentalist family in the isolated mountains of Idaho. Um, huge. And this book uh, came out, what, I think it was like February, was on the bestseller list for weeks. Um, and it's really, really well told. And then we have Alexander Chi, How to Write an, uh, an Autobiographical Novel, which is a collection of essays uh, on his life, uh, really closely tied together. These essays illuminate is like his development of his own craft. So we have, you're right, we have a couple of those on the uh, line. Anything else that would just really jump out at you? Well, what uh, resonated with me when you guys were talking about sort of unexpected reading pleasures was uh, Reagan and American Journey by Bob Spitz. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have guessed that I personally would find a biography of Reagan enjoyable, and yet this manages to be both gripping and hilarious, two things that I would not have guessed. Excellent. And it's a big book. Yes. Oh, it's massive. I mean, in size. Doorstop. Yeah, ex doorstop. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wonderful. All right. We're going to come back to this, but I want to uh, right now go to uh, Amanda Bruins. Um, uh, even though Children's does not have a top 10, you have a whole slew of best books. What do you see, Amanda? What were some of the trends? Yeah, sure. Um, this is also my first year compiling this list. And though if you work in children's books, you make a lot of lists of children's books over time. Um, this list was such a delight to compile. I guess trends-wise, I'm seeing inclusivity is really a mark of the year. Um, it's also a great year for debut creators. And I think we're seeing an interesting mix of things that are like both joyful and weighty at the same time. So I guess if we want to talk about inclusivity a little bit, um, we're seeing you know, more and more characters across the board, both substantively and like incidentally, um, that are representing people of color and spectrums of LGBTQIA and gender identity and ability and background. And it's great to see diverse stories being published and also really selling well. So a couple of examples from the year include uh, Gigi Morales' Dreamers, which uh, traces her story immigrating from Mexico to the U.S. with her son. Um, it's just a beautiful and lushly illustrated picture book. A YA graphic novel that we're excited about is Jen Wang's The Prince and the Dressmaker, which is about a prince who hires someone to create dazzling gowns for him. And then Tommy 
at Ayemi's West African-inspired YA fantasy, Children of Blood and Bone, is critically acclaimed and, and doing beautifully as a bestseller. It's even kicking off the Tonight Show's book club. I, I'm I'm personally really delighted also by the number of debut creators on the list. So kind of across the board from, from picture books through to YA. Um, a personal favorite of mine this year is The Patchwork Bike by Maxine Beneba-Clark. It's this beautiful story with a brown-skinned child who gives readers a tour of their of their village um, and then talks about the very best thing being this bike that the kids have built from discarded items. Um, and it's just so joyful and, and so beautiful. Some other debut authors are the author of The Light Between Worlds, which is kind of a, a Narnia-esque portal fantasy. We have Jessica Love, the author and illustrator of Julian is a Mermaid, and also Ogamora, the, the author illustrator of Thank You, Amu. All of those are debuts and, and, and really beautiful, well-put-together books. So uh, there's a couple that jumped out at me looking at your list, and one was by uh, Daniel Jose Older, uh, The Dactyl Hill Squad. So we had him on uh, when it was PW Radio on the show talking about his science fiction uh, fantasy, uh, his sure. science fiction novels. And here, uh, is this uh, one of the first for him for middle-grade books? Um, Daniel's done a ton of, of YA and I, I believe, uh, I'll have to double check, but I think that it is his first middle grade book. Um, and yeah, it's one of those that we found is both weighty and also rollicking. Um, it's, it's brilliant and historical, um, but also mixes like civil war era, New York city with dinosaurs. Um, and so it, it's such a wonderful mix of so many things, and um, I hope it I hope it sells like crazy. Yeah, and there's another one you were talking about, like big books, capital B, or no, you said capital something or other, but... I think I said capital W, worthy. Worthy, okay. Yeah. So I'm looking at the Jacqueline uh, Woodson book, The Day You Begin, uh, where, where she mm -hmm. imagines, uh, quote unquote, an only in the classroom, which I think is something that a lot of kids uh, may be going through. I mean, is that one of your W? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it is it is a more kind of overarching look at the experience of of what it is, as you say, to be quote and only unquote. Um, and, and she does such a an artful job, and and her illustrator for this, Rafael Lopez, together they they make such a, a lyrical beautiful book about what it is like to be alone and then also how one has to maybe speak up and tell one's story to feel like one is one is courageous and one is oneself right yeah uh gabe what else do you have on the fiction um yeah so one of my my personal favorite ones um this year is uh come madre which is a um short novel it's it's maybe like 140 pages that's translated from Spanish, and the author's name is Roque Larique. Um, and I have a uh, dark sense of humor, and I loved this book. Um, it's, set, it's set in two parts, but the first part is in this um, sanitarium in Argentina in the early 1900s, and the physicians there, the doctors, decide to do a pretty... Um, dark experiment on the patients there and that's beheading them uh, without severing the vocal cords and then asking the severed head what it sees in the seconds before it expires. And it's, it's 
crazy and um, upsetting, but also very funny. And there's this switch about two thirds of the way through um, where it jumps ahead a, a bunch of decades into the future. And it, ha- it has this um, section about a uh, controversial artist and it somehow connects the two sections in a way that I thought was really, really smart and um, brilliant and sort of elevated the entire book in a way that um, sort of like a, how asymmetry has that, that same um, feeling of be- being more full by having two or three disparate threads that sort of congeal, even though they don't have any sort of direct connection to each other. Um, so I, I love that one. That's one of my favorite books of the year. Um, and it's just, it's like a lot, it's just a lot of fun to read. He also brought that one into me and demanded that I read it. <laughs> nice. He did. He did. You know, nice. another thing, Gabe also likes short books, which I tend to gravitate toward. Yeah. So, yep. you know, yeah. And this was one of those. Yeah. I, and I, yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. I mean, the one you gave me wasn't quite as short, but it was definitely manageable. And I don't want to overwhelm you, Mark. No, I know, because I'm easily overwhelmed. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I hear so, it all day. <laughs> Anna, over you. What jumped out at you? What was some of your personal favorites deep inside our list? Well, I think a lot of the books that I was really excited about uh, on the nonfiction side are those whose authors uh, bring a really unusual and insightful perspective to whatever their material is. And this year, that happened to be a lot of people who have a some kind of personal connection to first-hand experience and what they're writing about. So, for example, Wesley Yang, whose essays are compiled in The Souls of Yellow Folk. Uh, some of them uh, touch on kind of Asian-American experience, uh, but also, surprisingly, he takes a somewhat unorthodox stance towards progressive and radical definitions of racism and sexism. So where you might think that he would be sort of, you know, all gung-ho about whatever the kind of progressive orthodoxy of the moment might be, he actually, you know, stakes out his own path through those concepts and thinks about things in a really unique way. Similarly, Stephen Brill, who is very well known from his um, takedown of the American healthcare system, which was called America's Bitter Pill, I believe. Um, His latest is Tailspin, which is sort of a global look at um, American society and politics and how... uh, Reforms aimed at leveling inequality have actually been exploited by the powerful to reinforce inequality. And that's a fascinating, and he sort of implicates himself in that process. He talks about, you know, going to Yale as a young person and sort of being inducted into this uh, fraternity of the privileged and the supposedly excellent and the the quote-unquote meritocracy that, you know, many participants... Uh, he sort of describes um, like pulling a ladder up behind you, you know, taking your your advantages and running, um, and also how other powerful entities take advantage of these supposed reforms. For example, he talks about um, powerful lobbies and corporate interests using government regulations that are intended to allow public comment mm-hmm. from consumers to completely like mire in lawsuits and disaster any attempt at reform that would threaten their bottom line. Um, So anyway, both of them sort of have these personal connections to what they're writing about and bring a really uniquely keen and acute perspective when they're analyzing what they see before them. Similarly, um, Sonia Abdullali, the novelist who uh, her nonfiction book that's on our list is what we talk about when we talk about rape. Um, She not only sort of analyzes cultural discourse around rape, but also brings in her own experiences being raped, running a crisis center for rape victims and being sort of caught up in like a media storm about rape discourse and culture. So I think it's so interesting that a lot of people have, you know, managed to combine personal interest and really, really keen analytical insight. 
Yeah, and and talking about topical themes, themes that have worked their way uh, into politics even, uh, is DNA. And we've got two books on here, two science books that talk about DNA. We've got David Quammen's The Tangled Tree, A Radical New History of Life. And then on our top ten is uh, Carl Zimmer, She Has Her Mother's Laugh, The Powers, Perversions, and Potential of Heredity. So we've got a few things that are working into mainstream conversation. And uh, before I'm going to let Johnny close us off with thoughts about uh, uh, future lunches and future say where I'm going to take you to lunch. <laughs> so I handle cookbooks, and one of the things I look at when I'm looking at a cookbook is this kind of a workmanlike book, which is great to have in the kitchen, or is this one that that kind of lets you dream? And I kind of define them as having soul or being soulless. Uh, so many that I see are soulless, uh, but the ones that truly stand out for me are those that have soul and. Uh, Two, there's three titles, but two of them have soul in it. One is Israeli Soul, Easy, Essential, Delicious by Michael Solomonov, proprietor of a couple of Philadelphia Israeli Jewish restaurants, uh, which is just fantastic. And the other one is Todd Richards, Soul, A Chef's Culinary Evolution in 150 Recipes. He's from Atlanta, and he puts all new life into soul food cooking. So, Johnny, close this out. This was uh, this was a, a really a really good year, a really good list of books this time out. We didn't talk about all the books in the top ten in yeah. this episode, so we're gonna leave a couple. You know, like why why have us tell you when you can go yourself to our website or pick up the magazine and find out what they are? Publishersweekly.com/slash/bestbooks. It is live right now. Go see it. Tell everybody. Share it. Uh, and you know, buy buy these books and pre-order Insurrecto. Yes. Which is not get out. Yes, perfect. Excellent. We've been talking with Amanda Bruins, Hannah Kushnick, Gabe Habash, and Johnny Segura. Gang, thank you so much for talking with us. You're welcome, Mark. <laughs> I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. Please be sure to subscribe to PW Insider on iTunes, and we'll see you next week. 